Ananian. I'm trying to teach you about the changes. I'm not trying to teach you just how to fix a car, and I'll do that if you give me the chance. But I'm trying to teach you about the changes. What you won't do to do for love. You tried everything, but you don't give up. The car doctor. People are stunned to hear $1,300 to repair a headlamp. The ballast went bad inside the lamp. The ballast is $400. You still got to take the bumper off to get to it. You still got to take the headlamp out. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Everybody loves somebody Everybody falls in love somehow Something in your kiss just told me My sometime is now Start your engines if you can. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor here. It's time to get under the hood at 855-560-9900. At your service, also cardoctorshow.com. Podcasting on TuneIn, iHeart, iTunes.com. If you need me during the week, Ron at RA Automotive. I'm sorry, Ron at CarDoctorShow.com. And um, if you, you know, hey, like that, Ron at RA Automotive, Ron at CarDoctorShow.com. It happens. So, and um, if you uh, do podcast, please click subscribe. Um, if you still think I can fix cars after I just blew the opening. So what the heck, it happens. Um, read an interesting article this week, and i got to be quick because the phones are busy. Auto repairs you can actually wait to fix by a Robert Ferguson. And uh, I don't understand. You know, I don't know what Robert Ferguson does. It's off a website, doityourself.com. Um, I don't know what he does for a living. I don't think he fixes cars. Cause I don't think he has a clue about what, what it is it really takes to fix cars and what they do to operate. And, you know, he talks about things you can wait to fix. Uh, you know, he talks about fluid leaks, hoses, belts, how important they are. One of the things he suggested you wait to repair is air conditioning and the heating system. And I can tell you why that's probably one of the dumbest things you can do. It actually can be life-threatening in certain situations, all right? Waiting to repair a heating system, and he doesn't say, depending upon what time of year it is, but waiting to fix a heating system, if you're in the fall or if you're approach, if you're in the middle of winter, you can't drive a car without heat. I don't care where you live, um, except if it's southern Florida or southern California or Arizona. But, you know, you need heat in a vehicle. It's got to be able to clear the windows. You've got to be able to drive with some sort of warmth inside. It's important. You'll feel it in your fingertips. You'll just, you'll freeze. And if the car gets stuck, then what happens? So, you know, no heat, that's a stupid comment. No air conditioning. I don't know about you, but surviving without air conditioning, yeah, I get it. Some people have 550 air conditioning. Roll the window down five feet and five inches and drive at 50 miles an hour. And I understand that too. But the bigger picture is air conditioning is also tied into the vehicle heating system in that the air conditioning, it's conditioning. It's not saying it's making the air cold. It's conditioning the air. Air conditioning will help remove moisture from the air that's being used in the heating system that blows on the defroster for the defroster blows on the windshield. So without air conditioning there, you can have enough moisture in there that you'll be blowing cold or warm, wet air on the inside of the windshield and create a, a, a problem where the glass doesn't clear as well. So there aren't very many repairs you can put off. 
He later goes on and he talks about cosmetic and, you know, you don't have to fix headliners and seat. Yeah, and I get all that. You know, that's cosmetic stuff. But trust me, mechanical systems, to ignore repairing a mechanical system may very well be asking for a problem in your own right and creating a life-threatening and a, a, an emergency situation, especially in the case of heat stuck on the side of the road on a winter day with a flat tire. So just something to be aware of. I don't like that kind of stuff. It um, shouldn't be done, and people like that shouldn't be writing articles uh, that they know nothing about, and I'm tired of seeing it. So anyway, this is The Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. Let's go over and talk to Ed on line one. Let's start the battle there. Hi. 99 Chevy Lumina. Hey, Ed, how can I help you, sir? Yeah, hi. Just a, a, a quick thing. My um, uh, my trunk is, is leaking. Okay. And I'm looking at the, uh, the gaskets. Uh, they look all right. What do you suggest to... Um, um, should I should I go out to Lowe's and buy some garden hose and sort of uh, you know silicone glue it in here? Or how, uh, what, what did you? What, no, why don't we do why don't we do this? You know, let's 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 just make a couple of comments. Is the area around the seal? It's all dry and clear of debris. There's no leaves. There's no muck. There's nothing there. Right, the channel is clean around the trunk lip. Yeah, it looks pretty clean. Yep. Okay. Yep. I'm so right now. so what you could do is you can do this one of two ways. This is. And it would it would always be we'd, we'd always stick somebody in the trunk with a flashlight and we would just take a garden hose and I won't spray water hard right at the trunk, but I would take my thumb over the end of the hose and make like a faucet and make you want to you want to replicate raindrops. OK, right? sure. So that, you know, uh-huh. you, you don't want to just you know, because sometimes the pressure will make a leak where there isn't or make a leak disappear that is. So you want to replicate the condition under which the problem happens. So thumb over it, make a little bit of a waterfall, make it rain on the trunk, and have them sit there with a flashlight and look for the leak where the leak's coming in. That's method number one. Obviously, you got to okay. be careful, and the guy in the trunk's got to trust you that you're going to let him out. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> yeah. You know, in, in North Jersey, we put people in trunks, and sometimes they don't get out. That's a whole other conversation. Um, okay. So that being said, you could also make sure that the rubber – uh, rubber weather seals are all dry and then take some flour or baby powder and wipe it on the rubber seal and then close the trunk when you open it you will see the you know the rubber seal should have the flour wiped off it okay yeah, all right that makes sense. so when mm-hmm. it's in areas where it's not wiped off you know it's that's not a good positive seal all right but, uh-huh. you know, that doesn't help you if this is a seam sealer, if this is a problem with the back window. doesn't help you in another area. So I, I, I for one, pref, prefer to have somebody in the trunk with a flashlight while I while I spritz some more. Uh, okay. All right, Great. sir. Uh, that's good. Hey, I have something kind of kind of funny, too. I, I got this car I bought off the street from a guy. Uh, bought it, and the, uh, the fuel gauge is pegged on full. I said, oh, what a nice guy. He filled the tank up. Yeah. Then I realized the gauge doesn't work. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Did you run? I, did did you run out of gas? No, no. Yeah, what I'm what I'm doing is I know I know I got a 16 gallon tank and I got a trip meter, so I just fill it up. And when I hit about 250 miles, I refill it. It <laughs> works. Doing the, yeah, it works. You got to you got to do what you got to do to get by, right, Ed? Yeah, I, I, I think it's probably easy because I looked at uh, a lot of diagnostics involved with that. So I think I'll just do the trip meter thing for a while. Well, yeah, because if you if you end up replacing the fuel level sender, it's part of the fuel pump assembly. Yeah. And that fuel pump assembly is easily four or five hundred dollars just for the yeah. part. So so That's yeah. one of those things I can put off, it sounds like. <laughs> well, yeah, that's something you can put off until it becomes a fuel pump. You'll you'll yeah. know when that's a problem. Is the check engine light on yet? 
No, no, that's fine. Yep. Okay. In no, 99, yeah. it may not have looked at it, but once in a while, an older GM will set a P0463 fuel, fuel level sender issue because it needs to know fuel level for evaporative emission uh, monitoring and for that system to work properly. So you may be forced to fix it sooner rather than later. Something to look for, but work on the water leak for now. Okay. All right, kiddo. Take good care. Okay, have, a good, have a good day. Yes, sir. Let's go over and talk to James in Tennessee, 93 Ford F-150. Uh, James, welcome to the car doctor. Yes, sir. James? Uh, yeah, how you doing? Hey, James, what's up? Okay, I got a 93 Ford F-150 with a 4.9 in it. Right. And it doesn't overheat when I drive around town, closed areas and stuff like that. It's whenever I take it to extend a trip, like 25-plus miles and it wants to cut the check engine light on. The water does, temperature doesn't get hot, but when I cut it off, I got to cut back on, and it starts choking like it's might get feel to it, and I don't want to start. Okay, so so let's let's start first with what makes you think it's overheating? Well, not overheating because the water temperature never gets up. Okay, I'm curious if there's anything that would cause it to once it's warmed up. And it goes a certain distance. What would stop the fuel filter, or it to get fuel whenever I try to start it back up again? So what you're saying is you'll drive it a long distance, and it's a hard restart once it's been driven 25 miles at yeah, highway speed. Take, yeah, it okay. takes about 20 minutes, and then it'll fire up like nothing's wrong. All right. So any any formal diagnosis done yet, or this is the beginning of it? Yeah, this is the beginning. All right, so this is a 4.9. Is this carbureted or injected? Uh, injected. Okay. So first place I'm going to go is I want to know what fuel pressure is. All right? I want to see okay. I, I want to see where fuel pressure is and and number 1, number 2, what's volume? If I depress the if I depress the safety release on the gauge, can I fill up a, a pint bottle in under 30 seconds? Number 3, what's the fuel sample look like? You know, it's an older vehicle. It's a 93, 2003, 2013. It's going on 24 years old. So, you know, could I have could I have a mm-hmm. rust condition in the tank? And I have seen rust on older vehicles do just what you're describing. I have seen contamination in an older fuel tank do just what you're describing where it becomes an issue on a restart. Does it crank normal? It just, okay. takes, a, it just takes a long time to fire off? It, it cranks normal when okay. it's cold. Right. Does it crank does it crank hard or funny when it doesn't want to start? Kind of, yeah. It it, it more it, it acts like it, like the first car that started to crank. It's like everything that's already in the line, and then it just doesn't get anything after that. Well, no, for, forget about anything in the line. Forget about anything starting the starter motor itself. How does it crank? Does it crank with the same consistency cold that it does hot? Or hot versus cold. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. You're sure? Okay. Then, then, then you know what you're experiencing is the problem. And like I said, I'll go back to I first place I would look Jason. is fuel pressure. That's Ryan's prime picture. Okay. All right. I would definitely, I would Ryan. definitely pay attention to fuel pressure. And keep in mind, there should be an external fuel pressure regulator here with a vacuum line going to it. Just to make a just, okay. to make just to make a quick look of this, you may want to pop that vacuum line off. Make sure there's no fuel spritzing out of that pressure regulator, like the diaphragm is ruptured. Okay. All right, sir. So give those things a try. Like I said, fuel pressure is where you want to be. That's the first step. 
and you want to try and catch it in the act, obviously, when the problem's happening. Checking fuel pressure when it's cold, when you don't have a problem, will give you a baseline of where it should be when it's warm, so at least you know what you're up against. But um, I would be paying very careful attention to fuel pressure, fuel condition, and volume on that vehicle. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's coming back right after this. Running into the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900, cardoctorshow.com, podcasting all over the place. Please make sure if you can, if you have a player that allows you to, click subscribe. Subscribe to our podcast. Help us show our sponsors that, yeah, this is the real deal. This is what it's all about. Let's go over and talk to Jason, Fort Worth, Texas, 2010 F-150 and some steering issues. Jason, welcome to the Car Doctor. How can I help? Hey, how you doing, buddy? Good, well, I'm having having trouble with this truck. Okay, is this? Um, is, let me ask you this: Is this electric power steering or fluid power steering? No, it's it's a fluid power steering. Okay, bill. okay, okay. Because some of the 2010s had electric, believe it or not. Right, and, yeah. right. So, yeah. And well, uh, a few a few months ago, I replaced the intermediate intermediate steering shaft. Okay. Um, it, it was locked up. Replaced it with a Ford piece. Um, then a, a few months, a few months later, the power steering pump, just no assist, no power assist at all, left or right or anything. The, the fluid was really dark, smelt burnt. So I went ahead and put a pump on it. Um, I tried to get a, a brand new Ford pump, but they don't make them anymore. Right. So Ford offers a remanufactured pump. I ordered one and then they called me and told me that they don't have any cores to rebuild any. So they don't have any in stock and told me to go to a local parts house. Well, that was tough to find one, so I finally found one by A1 Cardone. Okay. And put an A1 remanufactured pump on it. Uh, bled the power steering pump system. Actually, before I replaced the pump, I I got as much of the old fluid out as I could, sucked it out, and then I flushed the system really good. I probably put uh, three or four quarts of Merc on five through it, right. and it was coming out clear. And then I put the new pump on. Uh, also put a, a power steering pump filter on it uh, from Cardone and blood the system. It, it turns perfectly fine left and right with wheels up in the air, no noise, no nothing. You put it down the ground. I have assist to the left and I have no assist to the right at idle. Um, if you're out, out and about driving, it turns fine right and left uh, when the engine speeds are up, but just at idle, there's assist to the left, but no assist to the right. And this is just since you changed and put the A1 pump on? Yes, this is since I put the pump on it. Well, and it's, it's, it's easy to say it's the pump, and I get the, logic, right. I get the logic of why it's not, because a pump doesn't know direction. A pump doesn't, right. a pump doesn't know which way you're turning the wheel. It just sees, you know, it just sees pressure or it doesn't. Um, right. So, right. you know, the next argument becomes... Why was the fluid so black and burnt? What let loose? Did something in the existing steering rack or in the old pump that you you know you took off create an issue that something is plugged somewhere causing a steering imbalance like you've got? Right. Okay. 
So this is a case of you're either going to put a pressure gauge on the system and read does the pump have correct output, okay, or you're going to throw another pump at it, and then mm-hmm. you're and then you're going to put a rack in it. There's, there's right. There's not much else you can really do short of right. you know trying to pinpoint diagnose it. How many miles are on this, Jason? One hundred thirty. Yeah, it's you know I won't say it's a ton of miles. It's not it's not a spring chicken, but it's no old man either. So, right. you know, then, yeah. the, then the next problem you're going to have is where you're going to get a rack from and whose rack, yes. and whose rack are you going to use? And that's an issue. Yeah. Um, Ford, Ford, they're about 700 bucks. And they're probably and, worth uh, every, they're worth every penny of it. Yes. You know, um, <laughs> been, been down this road, uh, you know, and that's, you know, if you're a regular listener, you know that I'm a fan of a lot of mm-hmm. every stuff in a situation like this. But I think, you know, that pump probably isn't the most difficult to do in the whole world, right? Yeah, it's not not too bad. Right. Not too bad. Um, that, that little that little stupid Teflon O-ring they give you is kind of a pain. But. Yeah, that's the, the the trick for putting those on the end of the line mm-hmm. is you're talking about the one that kind of fits into that groove. Yes. Cup mm-hmm. of, cup of hot water. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 That's what I use. Yeah. Just use the punch and yeah. kind of size it out a little bit, kind of just like a transmission sealing ring. Yep. You know. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So. Um, but there's not much more you can do short of putting a pressure line on it. If I was at the shop, I would be thinking somehow, for some reason, I've got a problem with this pump. Okay. Only be, you know, and I know it defines logic. I know there's no, there's no logical reason why, because this is just two lines, right? This is pressure and return. That's it. That's it. Very simple system. Pump doesn't know which way it's going. Uh, right. You know, it doesn't it doesn't know which way you're turning the wheel. But I, you know, I would surely start with a fresh pump. And then when that doesn't work, I'd, I'd have to put a rack in it. I can't think of okay. anything else. You know, this could be, you know, um, I mean, just for giggles, if you wanted to, when it was on the ground, disconnect one outer tie rod and then does it do the same? You know, is it is it full load, some load? But I don't know what that would tell us. Right. You yeah, know, if, if, yeah. We, if we did that, then we'd be scratching our heads going, okay, what's, you know, what's, what's next here? Um, right. You know, so yeah, you know, any, any idea what the output pressure is supposed to be on this pump? Not at the top of my head. I'm going to think, um, you're going to need a pretty decent pressure gauge, something that mm-hmm. ranges up to 3000 PSI. If I remember right, I see them at 1200. I see them at 1800. Um, I see them at 2400. It depends on the system. So, okay. But, uh, you know, by the time you go through all that, see, my concern is what took out the first pump, you know, and why was the fluid so dark and burnt and beat up? And is there something else in that system? It would be interesting if you took that new pump off and strained the fluid through some cheesecloth. Would you find any particulate? Would you find any foreign material in there? And that tells you you still got a problem in that existing rack. Give me a call back, Jason. Let me know what ends up fixing this. I'm kind of curious. I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. We're coming back right after this. Back, Ron and the Car Doctor. By the way, boys, we're almost three quarters of the way through the show. I haven't heard Barry White yet. Uh, Steve Zach's going to be upset. I just want to let you know that. So, uh, 
So I'm trying to educate the poor boy. Let's uh, let's get on over and talk to Lee in New Hampshire with the 2010 GMC Terrain. Lee, welcome to the Car Doctor. How can I help? Hey, how's it going? I have a 2010 Terrain. Okay. Uh, and uh, GMC Terrain. It's a uh, 3.0, and I had two codes pop up: 171P10174, which is both banks are running lean on fuel. Right. And I, and I was trying to figure out how to get clear that up. I changed the mass airflow sensor. And then I went and got the the, um, the most expensive uh, oxygen sensors replaced, and um, and then other codes popped up when we reset a couple of times, which was uh, P zero four four six and twenty two seven one twenty two seven two I think. Okay. So I, I'd, have to, I'd have to double check. All right. So uh, so here's here's the deal. Well, you know who's doing this? You or a repair shop or? Um, well, originally I brought it to one garage, and then they did the oxygen sensors, and then, then the code popped back up, so I brought it to a GMC Tech, right? Uh, and um, uh, certified tech, and they originally couldn't find anything with the two first codes, a P seven, a P zero seven one seven one and one seven four or whatever. So, uh, but then the new codes came up. Um, forgive me. Okay. When the, when the new codes came up, uh, the oxygen sensors were changed, like 2272, which is what says a sensor signal, this lean bank 2 and lean bank 1 are, are running lean or something. Well, yeah, so, here's the – here. let's let's look at it like this, Lee, all right? Yeah. Um, you're trying to build a fire in the fireplace, and you're, yeah. you're looking for a nice even flame, and you're looking for good distribution. Well, and, Absolutely. Right. Yeah, and I know. and, and yeah. when you're you know, you're a guy in New Hampshire, it's cold up there. You know what a good fire is like, right? So right. when you when you add too much you're oxygen to yeah, yeah, you know, when the when you get too much oxygen to it, the fire flares up. When you when you have wet smoky wood, the fire's kinda poopy and it doesn't yeah. really work well. So it oxidizes, right. yeah, I know. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. that being said, we're looking for a balanced air fuel mixture. We're looking for for even distribution. The first right. thing I'm going to look at is 171 and 174, the indicators, 2270 and 2272 are telling me that the downstream oxygen sensors have reached their lean limit. In other yep. words, the computer's saying that's all they got. They can't go no more. Something's up. So they're not, they're, we're not seeing a response change under these conditions. So right. my, my first question, and I think I already know the answer to it is, it would be, so, you know, what's the last thing I changed on it? We got to change it with the with the the purge valve up the front. Right. Yeah, I got to change that. And so far, the code hasn't popped back up in the last 180 miles. But um, just that's all I know. Well, here's how you can tell if it's fixed or not. You got a scan tool? Uh, no, but the, the GMC tech said that when they changed that purge valve, and he had the oxygen tank, he had the gas tank open or something like that. He did some tests, and then he he said that um. As soon as they change the purge valve, numbers started going back into the areas they're supposed to be going back into. Right, because the purge, oh. the purge valve was stuck open. Because what what I was going to point out to you was the way you want to diagnose this is you're seeing you're seeing the 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 effect. I want to go look at the cause, and one of the things I use to look at cause in this type of situation is where's fuel trim. And you could look at that right now if you had a scan tool that read data stream. If if zero is supposed to be that good healthy fire. If this fire yeah. if this fire is running lean, we're going to see fuel trims in excess of twenty percent. And right, right. if if changing that purge valve, yeah, twenty it was at twenty four percent. Yeah. Okay. Originally. And now where is it? Uh, as far as I know, they said they're in, in the the norm. 
So I don't know if that fixed it or not. But well, if if it if it if changing the purge valve put fuel trim back under ten percent, back into a zero percent, zero plus or minus five to six percent, sounds like you're fixed. Yep. You answered your own question. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like I said, I called you guys like a week ago, and I, I, I made the mistake of trying to call you guys on a Sunday. And, and I thought you guys were open Sunday, so when I was trying to get in touch with you guys, it was Sunday, and I was like, oh, wait a minute. Then I looked online and found out you guys are doing this on Saturdays. Right. Yeah, we're, so, yeah we're, we're live on the network Saturdays, 2 to 4. So you're, you're yeah, hearing it on an affiliate on a delay. Yep. Say again? Yeah, I was absolutely perplexed, though. I mean, I did not know where to go, who to deal with. I mean, I've gone to a couple places, and when a GMC tech couldn't figure it out based upon the two codes that he had at the time, which was 171-174, I was like, I don't know what the heck to do next, you know? Right. And I was only lucky that the other code popped up later on, you know? I mean, I was just like... Well, where you would have diagnosed this or how, how, how this could have been diagnosed is always look at, you know, in a case like this, always look at fuel trim. All right. I had a here. I'll tell you. I'll tell you a quick story. Then I'm going to go. I had a '99 okay. Toyota Sienna this week that yep. that was setting a P0171 Bank One Lean. Yep. All yep. right, and that was the only fault code I had. Uh oh, that's one side. Yep. Right. How am I going to diagnose it? I uh, don't know. I started. I started looking at things common. And only having an effect on bank one. Okay. All right. There were no vacuum leaks. There was one. Yep. Da- there was one downstream oxygen sensor yep. that was stuck at point one tenth of a volt. I shot. Okay, a, now- I, wait. I shot a little propane in the system. Yeah. And it stayed at one tenth of a volt. It never. It never went up. Really. Okay. I put an O2 sensor in it. I watched fuel trims go down. I watched O2 voltage change. The car was fixed. It's been to three repair shops before it got to me. Really? It's that's that's intense because uh, I, I was just trying to figure it out, and uh, uh, I, I was also considering that there might be this little voltage meter, that's like little volt, like a five volt uh, sensor under the gas tank. It might have been that too, but I, I wasn't well, really sure. Well, that that sensor you're speaking about under the gas tank is the FTP fuel tank pressure sensor, right? And that's yeah. what what that's doing is that's that's reporting whether the tank is in a state of vacuum or pressure for the EVAP system. Now, oh, okay. now, if you really if you really want me to play with your mind, there have yes. been documented cases on GM vehicles where that FTP will short. Yeah and provide a 5-volt feed on the signal return to the PCM and set false codes for other areas of the vehicle that have absolutely nothing to do with FTP. GM has since revised GM has since revised software to pick up that fault as part of the diagnostic strategy. So do they, Does that cause a ground if it's at zero does that mean it's ground short or the other way around when it's all the way up and at 5 volts? If what's at zero? Uh, the reading, if you do a voltmeter check on it and, you, and it's reading uh, at 5 volts or if it's reading zero constantly. Okay, you're talking about the FTP? Yeah. Z- zero, zero volts on an FTP means it's in a very high state of vacuum. Okay. All right, and 5 volts means gotcha. it's reading atmosphere. That's why when you take the cap off of a GM car, if it's in a state of vacuum, the FTP always rises. Right. Okay. And, and it, but that, that indication should change based upon the pressure of the tank, right? No. 
you, you're going to you're going to oh. get into an FTP. Usually, you'll see a higher than five volt reading or a lower oh. than zero volt reading. It'll be a short or a failure or no reading. I got you. All you right. got it. All right. Yep. So, but there you go. You're fixed. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, I, I guess that, that's it. Like I said last week, man, I was I was I mean trying to get my car inspected. I got the clear sticker on my car right now, and I'm actually driving up to the de- the place where I got inspected originally. And um, I'm hoping with 185 miles that it would the, the code should be cleared on the computer. So when you put the computer set up to it, I can get this my safety inspection done. So well, I don't know. Yeah, you got to see if your monitors have run. All right, listen, kiddo, I got to go. Um, but uh, good luck to you, and I'm glad you're on your way. I'm glad you're fixed and doing what you need to do. 855-560-9900. FTP goes to 5. I got to think about that. I might have had that backwards. Ron and Annie, the car doctor. We are back right after this. See you. <laughs> Car doctor, welcome back. That um, FTP range values, I had that backwards. I flipped that around in my head. So uh, let's get that straight. Let's go over to Tim in Chico, California, 12 Honda Fit, and some issues with a misfire. Tim, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Hi, Ron. Uh, 2012 Honda Fit Sport. Okay. Uh, just just got to about 68,000 miles and got a code for P0303. Okay. And because uh, I was out of warranty, I Decided to investigate myself and uh, expecting some kind of problem, maybe coil pack or spark plug. Right. So, yeah, yeah, turned out to be both um, on cylinder number three. When I took uh, the spark plug out of cylinder number three, I counted how many turns loose it was, four and three-quarter turns backed out. Um, cylinder number two about two turns backed out, and the other ones uh, required no wrench to loosen up but weren't hadn't backed out. So I'm assuming this car built in Japan, that was the last time anybody touched the spark plug, one-owner car. Um, uh, story gets worse in that the NGK Iridium laser plug uh, lost the ground electrode into the motor. Oh, boy. And it's still, it was still firing. Um, it was, the, the center electrode worked pretty well, I guess. Um, so <laughs> had an intermittent miss, you know. Yeah. And uh, there was heat damage to the boots on those two coils. And so I ordered two Denso brand uh, coilovers and four new plugs. And uh, I'll be doing a valve adjustment 45,000 miles early per oh. Honda. Right. Replacing the spark plugs was at um, 32,000 miles early. Um, you see, now, to if, play into your... well, you know, if you had if you had waited until the 100,000 mile mark, the plug would have blown out of the head, and then you could have had a reason to go buy a new car like everybody else, because why would you fix something? <laughs> you know, that's 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 the whole next conversation. Uh, you know, and this stuff happens. Listen, it's it's not great, and it's upsetting. The point is. We're being we're being lulled to sleep about how good our cars are, but yet 
repair shops and dealership service bays all seem to be chocked full of cars. So how good yeah. can they, how good can they really be? And we're we're being prodded and poked into thinking that we never need to do anything. Just get in the car and turn the key and just drive it, and you know oh. it, it'll be fine. And and that's not the case. And you know issues like you're describing. Yeah, listen, Monday I get to try and put a set of spark plugs. Try key key parameter there is try. I've got a three valve five four Ford motor. Um, uh, I'm sorry, four six and a uh, and an Explorer. I get to uh, try and put plugs in with the uh, two-piece spark plug. We'll see how exciting that's going to be. And Oh, I read the technical service bulletin. If you if it breaks off in there, then you use a special Loctite compound to yep. bond a rod to it, and then you extract it. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it'll be it'll be an exciting day Monday. And uh, have you any any thoughts on? Um, I, I I don't have a borescope that will properly look down there. Um, didn't hear anything rattling around. Um, Does it run? I'm creating a vacuum port to put a vacuum gauge on it once I get it running again to kind of ascertain if there's any valve damage. Anything I can, I got a CRP229 scanner. Is there anything I can look at no. to you know, look for damage? No, I mean, it's it's going to be started up. Does it idle smooth? Does it make any noise? Is fuel trim in, in acceptable limits? Fuel trim is, to me, the greatest qualifier uh, out of out of any of the, the 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 pieces of data that come out of a scan tool, if 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 fuel trim is zero plus or minus ten percent short term side, I love it. I'm happy. You know, it's it's come down to the point where certain cars, older cars, the cars that aren't doing the fuel system maintenance and cleaning, I'll do an oil change, and if I have the time, I'll plug in and just do a quick OBD two around the block short term fuel trim look and see where is it, and I can make mm-hmm. recommendations off of that. So, you know, at this point, without a bore scope, there's not much more you're going to look at it. You've got to just, you know, start it up and hope for the best. Um, um, I see. And, you know, we we put the plugs in with a beam uh, torque wrench known to be in good condition um, to the factory specification. That, that plug did feel funny, but it, it, it did accept the torque. Right. Um, uh any thoughts on um, if it didn't strip going in? Can I expect those threads to hold the plug? Or well, if you can hand torque at the spec, threads should hold yeah. the threads should hold the plug. So if All you can right. take what's the spec? Twenty two foot pounds, if I remember right, something along those lines. Um, wow, Honda Honda actually says thirteen. So I looked at NGK for a fourteen millimeter. It said eighteen to like you said over twenty twenty four, I believe. So I split the difference to the between the two and did 15 yeah you'll be fine you want to nudge it to 18 you'll be fine too if it can hold if it can hold 15 to 18 foot pounds of torque then you're good to go and i wouldn't worry about it i gotta go i gotta uh yeah right i have to go tim they're 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 telling me the clock's coming up but um i would start it up put the plugs in it start it up and uh, see what happens if you've got noise you got a problem if you don't you're good to go and then do your maintenance i'll um i'm here if you need me 855-560-9900 we're back right after this say that too much of anything is not good for you, baby. But I don't know about that. 
many times have we loved and we've shared love and made love. It's, it doesn't seem to me like it's enough. Yeah, we could go on all hour. Boy, that one's for you, Steve. Zach, we're on Eating the Car Doctor here. Let's go over to John and see you bring Florida. John, you feel all juiced up now? How can I help you and your BMW, sir? Hey, Ron. Yes, um, I don't have it yet, but I'm looking to buy buy one that uh, was in an accident. Okay. And I'm wondering, anything to really look for, keep my eyes open? Yeah, the, cons- so, the concern I'd have here, John, is more an electronic examination than the visual physical one, all right. And I, I would, I would just want someone with a dealer level capable scan tool, not just OBD two, to be able to go through every system electronically and do a system scan. And is anything reporting a fault code? Are all the monitors run to completion, meaning that the emission system is ready to go? And obviously, then you know, fit, finish, paint body seams, those type of things, and then were aftermarket parts used or were they BMW original equipment parts? Um, You know, that's the third part of this. But an electronic examination is just as important, if not more so, on a BMW on a high-line car like that. I hope that does it for you. That does it for us. I'm Ron Anating, The Car Doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya. See ya.